Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. Do you have anyone professionally who tells you things that you don't want to hear? In other words, is there anybody that you can go to that you trust will give you constructive criticism and tell you when you are not performing how you should? That is a question I think all of us need to consider significantly. I know I first realized this when I, I started working with an executive coach when I was working in major gifts. This was probably six years ago. I worked with an executive coach who uh, didn't have any experience in major gifts, but he was a very successful entrepreneur and had uh, done a lot of stuff in sales. He managed huge sales teams. He had been very successful for a long time, and one of his endeavors was executive coaching. And uh, he was a friend of the CEO uh, that of the organization I worked for, and so I was one of the people that he was coaching, and I did not like going to our meetings, <laughs> at least for a while. And part of the reason for that is because I was—I mean, when I was working at Major Gifts, I was—I was. I was the person bringing in the most money in the organization by far. And I didn't get a lot of criticism and I could just do whatever I wanted and nobody really questioned how I did things. I was in an office by myself in a city by myself and just did things how I wanted to. And everyone always praised my performance because I was the rainmaker and uh, I just had a ton of authority and respect of the team. But when this executive coach came in, <laughs> he didn't have any of that. He's like, who's this, who's this punk? I'm going to, I'm going to set him straight. And on one of our first, the first call we, we ever had, he told me, do you know what your biggest enemy is, Kevin? And I said, I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I don't know what I said. I said, I probably said something. And he said, no, your biggest enemy is the status quo. And he said the status quo in the nonprofit world is incredibly low, at least in terms of uh, the revenue side of things was his point. And he started challenging me on a bunch of stuff. And I mean, he, he said some stuff to me that just made me mad for like weeks. I would be upset about stuff that he said, like, <laughs> like one, one month, it was the first month I ever raised a hundred thousand dollars. Like there was a hundred thousand dollars in the bank that month directly from my efforts. And so I was telling him about it and I was super jazzed and he goes, Oh, that's great, Kevin. Um, how are you going to make sure you do that every month? And I was like, well, I, I don't, I don't really plan on doing that every month. Like this was kind of a, a high month. It was a, a number of things came together and he was just like, you should be able to do that every month. And I think there are there are some people that respond to different types of feedback and uh, calls to do better. And maybe his approach was a little bit too abrupt. But the reason it was effective 
is because I wanted to get better. And even though he didn't have experience in major gifts, he was someone that I really respected in terms of re- revenue generation. This wasn't like a, oh, I made $100,000 once. This was a very successful entrepreneur who I you know looked up to a great deal. And so when he told me these things, it, made, it, it wasn't like just some schmuck off the street said it. It made me think a lot. And when he told me that comment about like, well, why don't you do this every month? Or, or one, one time, we were talking about how many visits I should have every month. Or maybe it was part of this conversation of, you know, how I got to that 100,000. And somehow it came up that I was doing, my goal was to have 20 face-to-face visits a month. And he was like, well, that seems pretty low. And I was like, well, that's like that's considered really great in <laughs> in the major gift world. And he was like, Kevin, pharmaceutical sales reps have 15 meetings a day. <laughs> and, you know, I, I gave him some pushback on some differences there. But, and I don't think he was trying to tell me you should have 15 visits a day, but he was trying to challenge my understanding of, you know, like, why is 20 great? Like, why should... Why should we settle for 20? Um, and so when he told me that thing about pharmaceutical sales reps have 15 meetings a day, I started just going and talking to a bunch of people. And I started asking all, I was telling people about this conversation and I was mad. I was like upset. I was, I felt challenged. I felt, uh, I don't know, like less than. And part of me was going to people, I think looking for affirmation that like, no, you're doing a great job, Kevin. But also part of me was trying to say, like, is there any truth to what this guy's saying? And so one of my friends was working at Northwestern Mutual as a financial advisor, and I was talking to him about it. And he told me, you know, his goal was to have 15 meetings in person per week. And so instead of 20 a month, they were shooting for 15 a week, which is 60 a month, roughly. So like, you know, three times more than what I was trying to do. And you know, I'm like thinking through this stuff and I I think the main takeaway I have is that I like it when people challenge me, even if they're wrong. And on the last, the last week, the last month that I was working in major gifts right before the pandemic started, I had 42 face-to-face visits. Now those were mostly in Dallas. Um, most of the donors I worked with were in DFW or Texas. I had a few people in other states. Um, so there's a lot of, and there's a lot of variables. I don't think everybody needs to have that many visits a month. That's kind of, that's not normal. But my point is, is that like, like why do we think, why do we accept the status quo? And do you have people in your life who are willing to tell you you need to do better and aren't just always willing to give you a pat on the back no matter what? I needed that. I needed to be challenged to do something more. And another time I think about uh, like pretty a couple years into my career, you know, I'm hearing all these stories about people closing gifts so much bigger than the ones that I was. And I'd never closed a $100,000 gift. And I remember sitting down with with Mike Murray, who was the first guest on this podcast. If you want to go listen to episode one from way back in the day, he had you know moved on to another job, and I was sharing with him some of my frustration. And I was like, you know, why is it that nobody like I can't get a gift this big? 
and he asked me a very simple question. Well, have you asked for one? (laughs) And I'm laughing because it seems so stupidly obvious, but the answer was no. I hadn't asked anyone for a gift of that size. So of course no one was giving it. And so it was soon after that that I, you know, I took this this wisdom uh, uh, <laughs> and I went and started asking people for $100,000 gifts and that's when people started saying yes. And so I bring all this up. You know, the reason I was thinking about this is I had a post on LinkedIn recently and I'm going to read it to you um, about, uh, basically about, I don't know if you should hire somebody essentially. So here, here's the post, and then I'll give some commentary in a minute. Would you get married to someone divorced five times? With rare exception, probably not. You can almost be guaranteed you're signing up for divorce. So why would you hire a development professional that has never spent more than 18 months at a job in the last 10 years? If your best candidate is someone that, based off their track record, is basically guaranteed to fail, don't hire them. Longevity in a major gift role is one of the most undervalued attributes of a successful major gift fundraiser. If someone has made a career of job hopping, it's almost always because they're getting fired or pressured to leave, they can't navigate difficult situations, so when things get tough, they leave, they're addicted to drama and don't want long-term stability, they see each job simply as an opportunity to get the next higher-paying job. They can't identify red flags that are going to make them want to leave. Remember, the difference between a great major gift fundraiser that will be with you for five plus years and a bad or average candidate is millions of dollars. Don't be afraid to pay a lot more for the right candidate. So I posted that and I made very sure to say, you know, you wouldn't marry someone who's been divorced five times. I didn't say you wouldn't marry someone who's been divorced once, or you wouldn't hire someone who's had a short track record one time. But people still, I think some people missed that, or I don't know, just just didn't want to accept that point. But the point is, is like, if someone has had 12 jobs in 12 years, they're not going to last long at the new job. You can say that uh, you know, oh, well, you got to look at all those circumstances and all this stuff. That's sure you should, but they're just not going to last long. Statistically speaking, like if you want somebody to be in a major gift role for five years, don't pick someone who has never been successful at it. And you can give all the reasons that you want as to why you had to leave every single one of these eight times. And maybe it's accurate, but what I would say is that if you've had to, if you truly needed to do that every single time, you can't identify which places are good for you to work at or not. And that is a skill that needs to be developed. And if that candidate doesn't have that skill, they're probably going to make that error again in the next job. And so my point is with this podcast and that post is not to say, like, look, I know there's a ton of factors as to why people leave organizations. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Maybe someone did need to leave eight times, ten times, whatever it is. I don't know. My point to you, the fundraiser, is do you have anyone in your life who's willing to call you on your BS and make you look at the uncomfortable thing? 
If there are things in your life that aren't going how you want them to, do you just want people to pat you on the back and say, yeah, it was everybody else's fault, you're doing everything great, just keep moving forward? Or do you have someone who you can really trust who's going to look at the whole thing and say, you know what, Kevin? You haven't been asking people for $100,000 gifts, and so why do you expect them to give them? Kevin, you're not hitting your goal for the year. You're not meeting with enough people. Oh, you think you're meeting with enough people because you had 20 face-to-face visits this month? That's one meeting per day. What else are you doing with your time? Why can't you double that? You need to have people in your life who are willing to tell you that you can do better and you should do better. And so that's my challenge to all of you listening to this podcast today is find those people in your life. Get a group. You, it can be a two-way street. It doesn't just need to be someone who's, you know, superior to you in whatever way. You can be peers who can look into each other's lives and point out the blind spots that you have and in a very helpful, respectful way, challenge each other to greatness. So that's what I would encourage you to do. So that's the post. If you're not where you want to be professionally, go talk to someone who's willing to tell you uncomfortable truths so that you can identify them, you can create a game plan, and then you can correct them. It's a much more uncomfortable way to live, but you're going to get through that discomfort and you're going to get to incredible success because you were willing to face the problem in front of you. So hope that was helpful. As always, leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps grow uh, the show, get it to more people. As always, I hope this episode has inspired you to schedule more visits. After all, you're just one visit away from growing your mission and your impact.